Welcome to If You Only Knew, brought to you by the Diversity Movement, where Dr. Debbie Stroman talks race and diversity in sports with some of the most influential leaders at the intersection of athletics and racial equity. Today's guest is John Tobias, ESPN consultant and lecturer at UNC Charlotte. John is an expert in analytics, and as a minority, that's pretty rare. Today, John and Dr. Debbie talk about John's career journey, what analytics means to sports, his passion for educating, being the only one in the room, and what we can do to encourage more diversity in sports analytics. Here's your host, UNC professor, entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and advocate, Dr. Debbie Stroman. You keep the bait. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. Welcome to another If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. I'm very, very excited to have John Tobias, a lecturer at University of North Carolina at Charlotte and a consultant to ESPN. John is one of the first statisticians in the country to implement usable advanced analytics in the sports television industry. He creates basketball analytics scripts for broadcasters to help explain to the viewers what exactly is happening, what's going on, and what it all means. John, thank you for being here. Thank you. I mean, that was a nice introduction. That's going to be kind of hard to top. <laughs> we don't want no, no competition here, but I do want you to tell our listening audience, how did it all start? What brought you to sports at a young age? And did you have any role models or neighborhood folks who were helping you out? You know, it's interesting. And I always like to tell people that I'm like the poster child of like going to college, you know, for like all of the wrong reasons. Because if you think about it, if you find something that you really enjoy, you know, you go to college to hone your craft. And then once you do that, you're more or less put in a position where you're thorough enough to like make sure that once you graduate, you're in perfect position to really do a good job no matter where you go. But the, the weird thing about it is, is that I've always had a love and affinity, you know, towards sports ever since uh, I was really, really young. But the light bulb did not go off until like I was like in my late 20s, early 30s to where, hey, let me go ahead and do something, you know, that I'm really, really passionate about and brings joy to me. And uh, so that's one thing. And, and another interesting thing is that when you ask me the question in terms of any role models, like in my family, you know, my dad was a, a very, very big fan of sports. But the crazy thing about it is that, Deb, is that my dad died when I was two years old. So I never knew my dad. But at the same time, like he was heavily involved in the sports. He was a sports information director in Winston-Salem State, where I grew up, you know, in Winston-Salem. You know, I was getting his master's degree, you know, in the sports realm. So it's kind of ironic to where many people say that I'm a carbon copy of him. Even though I never knew him, I have any recollection of him. Well, there's no doubt he must have been impactful because people are connecting you with him. So did you play sports? Does like Pop Warner count in like middle school? <laughs> <laughs> well, based on our listening audience, we'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you include that, yes. I was actually on the swim team at high school at Carver, which is Salem. But to be totally transparent in terms of like playing football and basketball, like in high school and obviously like in higher ed. No, that was not the case. But it did not take my my love and passion for it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no doubt for you to be such an expert with applying the numbers, the math, the statistics to sports that you had an affinity with certain sports. Was it basketball at a young age, football, baseball? It was really all of the above and even something like boxing, because I was one of those types to where, you know, back in the day, whenever we would get a newspaper, there was no like online. I mean, you would go ahead and have the newspaper like delivered. 
And the first thing that I would do, and especially even like the USA Today newspaper to where you could just go and get it for like 25 cents. So I would go ahead and get it. And the first thing that I would do is I would just go straight to the sports section and I would go to the box scores. Because one thing that gravitated me happened to be like the number aspect, the number part. So in other words, like, okay, you know, Larry Bird or Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson scored, you know, 30 points and they had a triple double. But the one thing that they could not help me with when I say they, I'm talking about publications, is that how did they score those points? Were they in the paint? Were they from three? You know, were they from like the corner three? Were they mid-range? So that's something I had thought about, but now we don't really have that issue anymore because we have that problem solved. Yeah. Wow. So you're teaching now, you're an educator. Were there any particular teachers at a young age that really helped you? I would actually say my mom in an indirect way, because my mom taught in education for over 40 years in terms of like elementary school teaching. And of course, I've always had a a huge amount of respect for teachers, first and Mm -hmm. foremost. But the thing about it is, is that I, I could not connect the dots in terms of me ever thinking that I would go ahead and actually be an educator, like let alone in terms of like higher education. But the parallel and the and the common denominator for that is in terms of sports analytics, because my love for sports and me actually really enjoying teaching, you know, students in terms of like the impact of analytics and so many different genres in sports that it really carries. Tell us about this sports analytics practicum course that you teach at the university. Again, Deb, it's about as unconventional as you can think of. My life story, unconventional. You know, John Mm -hmm. Tobias, you know, Mm -hmm. unconventional would be right beside it. But no, with that being said, about three years ago, and I've told this story several times, about three years ago, Syracuse University became the first school and maybe still the only school to this day to where you could get an undergrad degree in sports analytics. So the first thing I said to myself, two things. Number one, I said, okay, that's awesome. And then two, since I do something like this for a living, you know, with ESPN, I would love to have the opportunity to teach students sports analytics as well, not just from a team standpoint, but from a player standpoint, a broadcast standpoint, even like when it comes to like contract negotiations. I mean, like if you are the agent and you have a client and it's time for that person to negotiate, you have to have something tangible that you bring to the table from a number standpoint. Yeah, I feel that you should play my, pay my client this amount of money because he had this amount of receptions. He ended up, you know, leading like the league in, in fourth quarter you know, points, you know, things like that to where it's something tangible to where the general manager can say, well, you know what? Yes, we do need to go ahead and pay your guy, you know, or your girl. So with that being said, I ended up talking to a couple of the people at UNC Charlotte, a couple of the higher ups. This is actually not that long ago. It was around March of 2019, and I pitched the idea in terms if I could teach a class in the fall with everything that I just explained to you, they were very much on board, and I ended up teaching. Fall of 2019 was my very first class, and it was only 15 students, and it was scary at first in terms of like, you know, the first day, but, you know, it was very rewarding, and I really enjoyed it, and since then, you know, it's really, really taken off. I mean, now I'm, I'm, I'm working full-time as well. So I guess you can say I have two full-time jobs, you know? And, and from an ego standpoint, you would say that, well, it's because like of you, John, but that, that really isn't the case. It's really because I think that the word analytics, especially sports analytics, is such a buzzword to where, you know, I think a lot of people are really starting to gravitate towards that and start to realize that you can have a career out of it. So that's what led me to UNC Charlotte in 2019. 
and where I'm at right now with the university. And I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. Well, we're grateful to you for pouring into young people because yes, it is a big, big industry and it is so popular and it's helping those young people who know that they gonna have to hang up their shoes, you know, and it might be high school, it might be college, or they might know that they're not going to make it to the pros and to know that they might not have the interest of being a coach, but they can stay close to the game. And we know the importance of learning math and learning your math tables, because that's basically it, because math and statistics is a lot of repetition, repetition. And then you add the creativity, like what can you do with the numbers? What do these numbers tell you? But tell us more about the actual clinical side, because we know that we can teach a formula, we can teach a platform, all the different things, advanced itself. But how are you actually applying it to the industry so that your students can learn and get some real life experience? And I'm glad you brought that up in terms of like R and Python, because, you know, there are levels to in terms of analytics and advanced stats, you know, because you do have like, you know, the basic learning part in terms of like learning, you know, bot scores, then advanced scores and how advanced stats and how that really comes into play. But then also you have the higher level to where like the coding part, you know, the SQL, the R, you know, the Python. What I said to myself, because even when I pitched the idea to UNC Charlotte, I had already developed a curriculum, not only in my head, but I wrote it all down to where I said to myself, if I were a student, what would I find interesting? What would be something that would really gravitate towards me? So again, you know, there are a couple of main factors in terms of talking about the impact that analytics has from a team standpoint. You know, 10 years ago, when I interned with the Charlotte Hornets, of course, this was back in the day. You know, there wasn't an analytics team, not just with the Hornets, but not with any particular franchise. You know, NHL, MLB, NFL, now it's to the point to where if you don't have at least one analytical person on your staff, that's more or less like an anomaly. Like, wait a second, like, what is wrong with you? I mean, well, it's not even one. You're talking about staffs of seven to 10 people. Yes, absolutely. So now it's to the point to where, you know, you have to have, you know, someone if you really want to go ahead and like stay in front of the game and have a competitive advantage, you know, based on data. So, you know, you have the team element, of course, how that comes into play. Also, you have like the player element in terms of how you can improve a player, you know, based on something tangible with with data, you know, like the contract negotiation part, the example that I just gave you in terms of like analytics comes into play when it comes to like contract negotiations. And even when it comes to sports betting, and, and when I say that, here, here's the thing. When I say that, it's not like that I'm trying to, like, you know, turn anyone to, like, you know, uh, a degenerate or anything like that in terms of, like, sports betting. What I'm saying is this, though, Deb, there are a lot of states each year that are passing laws to where you can now bet legally. And the thing about it is, is that I just think that it's good for students that love sports to just have an understanding of that. Because a lot of times when people you know, place bets, uh, a lot of times it's, it's, it's based off of emotion. It's based mm. off of emotion. Instead of looking at something to say, hey, listen, what do the numbers say? What do the numbers say? What, you know, in terms of their predictive model, what does that say? That is something you should go by. So with that being said, a lot of times when people think of you know, analytics, they just think of like one particular genre. But again, it's so many. Broadcast, what I do, team, player, contract negotiations, salary cap as well. We'll talk about that. Uh, the business side as well. I teach a sports business analytics class as well. And then, of course, the sports betting part that I just gave you an example of. Well, those are great examples. And clearly, 
The numbers have a role in everything that is thought of with sport. I'm Shelley Willingham, Vice President of Business Strategy for the Diversity Movement. And on this segment, we're sharing a quick story of a Black athlete or leader who has paved the way for so many others. At the Diversity Movement, we want you to pave the way as well for your company to excel in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Today's barrier breaker is Maya Moore, one of the most heralded women's basketball players in collegiate history at the University of Connecticut, a four-time WNBA champion and 2012 and 2016 Olympian is now recognized as one of the more recent great champions for justice. Her February 2019 decision to put her basketball career on hold while in her prime to be an activist for a wrongful conviction was a very risky move, yet Moore felt a spiritual calling to walk the talk. Her journey of advocacy was rewarded with the overturning of the conviction of Jonathan Irons last July. Moore continues to break barriers by focusing on voting rights. So important, and thank you for all you do, Maya Moore. If you're looking for your company, organization, or higher education institution to break through your DEI barriers, we want to hear from you. Visit our website at thediversitymovement.com or click the link in the show notes. So you mentioned your current role with ESPN. Working with them is one of the dream jobs for a lot of young people. So tell us how you actually assist broadcasters and make them look good. So let's say, for example, well, you know, we're talking basketball, so we might as well keep it, you know, with basketball. So a lot of times when people are watching the games, you, you know, of course, you have like your play-by-play person, you have your sideline reporter, and you have like your color analyst. So let's say, for example, if it's the Lakers and the Pelicans, and we're all watching the game, and let's say like the people that are announcing, it's Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, and Mike Breen, because they're like the, the A-team when it comes to main basketball games for ESPN. And we're all watching the game, and let's say all of a sudden if you hear them say, Wow, can you believe that Zion Williamson has scored the last 18 points? And by the way, all 18 of those points have come in the paint. Or if they were to say, hey, Le- LeBron James, ladies and gentlemen, he now has eight assists. And out of those eight assists, he's assisted to seven different players. Mm. Well, that's somebody that is sitting right beside them, giving them that information to like tell the TV audience. Or even like in terms of like a football standpoint, like, you know, we'll use like, you know, Trevor Lawrence, for example, because he's going to probably be the number one player pick. You may be watching a Clemson game and and somebody you may hear like the play by play broadcaster say, hey, can you believe this season in the fourth quarter? Trevor Lawrence is like a perfect 13 for 13, you know, with like five touchdowns. That lets the audience know, okay, well, if I'm pulling for Clemson, they're down by seven and the fourth quarter is about to start. I like my chances. Because in other words, a box score can tell you a lot if you look at a box score, even during a game, but it can't tell you everything. So my job is to try to educate the audience and explain a narrative. Or even if you look at the bottom of of the TV screen, you know, Michael Jordan is six for six from three and the rest of the team is like one for 11. That's me telling the producer, hey, listen, I'm noticing a narrative to this game. Can you please like just pop it up at the bottom of the TV screen just so you can let people know, the fans know in terms of like what exactly is going on, the viewer. So again, my job is to like, like you have to look at the game in a very myopic way though, because if there's a great touchdown or a great slam dunk, it's not like you can jump out of your seat and get excited. You know, it's it's like real tunnel vision because you're explaining a narrative to where you say, okay, so that's the reason why the team is up by five, or that's the reason why this team is down by 11. 
No, that's a great explanation of what you do. So you've got me even more curious. <laughs> when I talk to my students in terms of where they'll land in this analytics world, I say that there's the super quant or the quant. They eat, sleep, and drink numbers, statistics. You know, they can talk numbers all day, all night. And then you have the end user, the athlete, the coach, mm -hmm. the general manager, the front office executive, who may know a little bit, right? They pass their algebra class, their math classes. But then you have the translator. That is the person who knows enough about stats, but also knows the game. And so they can take that information from the super quant and then translate it to something that's usable. Now, I have the feeling that you're translator slash quant, or are you more just the translator? Where are you in terms of your, your numbers game? I would say both because you have to be pretty versatile, you know, and not just in terms of, of that dynamic, but in terms of like multiple sports as well. And also you have to like, you have to have a good perspective. You have to have really good foresight as, as well, because if you have a feeling that someone is going to like have like a really good game, it's really good to kind of be proactive and like, you know, like maybe the day before, like really do your due diligence and look at that person's stats and see if you notice a trend. Like, hey, maybe, for example, like Carolina, Garrison Brooks, whenever he scores like, you know, 15 points, Carolina's like 19 and one. So you want to like look for things like that, because, again, you're trying to educate like the viewer. You're trying to educate the viewer to where they may not be privy to these particular stats and advanced numbers. Well, there's no doubt it's storytelling. That's how we're drawn in. So when you're working with the broadcast team, are you using particular software or you just have a lot of data and information there and you're pulling out things or are you actually calculating live? All of the above, because mm -hmm. generally, especially when it comes to college games, we have this software that we use called Stat Broadcast. And so stat broadcast, you can see in terms of the, the box scores and even like some of the advanced stats as well. So you have that to look at. And then also in terms of, again, making sure that you do like your due diligence, because generally whenever there is a game, you know, every particular team, whether it's college or pro, either has a sports information director or a media relations person. So they're responsible for coming out with the game notes. So it's up to you to kind of like sift through this particular big data and extrapolate and find things that are interesting that you think they may, may really come into play when it comes to the game that you're going to be working. So I know that's a long answer, but yeah. you really have to just cover like so many different bases whenever you're doing this. Now you make me feel a little jealousy. I've been the color analyst for UNC women's basketball for a number of years, not doing it now, but you talk about that stat broadcast. I had to watch that, analyze it, and then speak. Whereas the broadcasters today, they just turn to you or you send them something. So uh, a lot of uh, spoiled broadcasters out there, thanks to you and others like you. You need to make uh, sure that you have a good statistician or whatever you do that again to make sure that, that he or she's feeding you some good information too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, thank you again for being a part of the Basketball Analytics Summit. We had so many great speakers sharing their tips and insights. But one point, you know, I'm getting more and more frustrated when people say analytics has no place in sports, right? Comments like, oh, you can't measure heart. Well, I've shifted to actually you can. And we call them hustle stats, right? Such as drawn charges, deflections, loose balls, recovered. So what's your take on the folks that are still out there saying, oh, it's the numbers thing. It's messing up the game. <laughs> well, of course, I respect everyone's opinion, but you can also respectfully disagree. 
10 years ago, and this is just put in perspective, you know, 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, there weren't any teams that had like an analytics person. So, you know, there are 32 NFL teams, 30 NBA teams, and then you have like you know, 30 plus NHL and, and MLB, and then you have to add in MLS as well. And pretty much all of those organizations have at least one analytics person. So are they all wrong or are they more or less being progressive and trying to have a competitive edge based on data? Now, I do I do like the point in, to where you need to make sure that you actually kind of go by your instinct at times, at, mm -hmm. at times. Perfect example, World Series when it was Tampa Bay against the Dodgers. You know, Tampa Bay had Blake Snell on the mound. He was doing really, really, really well. Analytics stated that, hey, after what, like five innings or so, his ERA shoots up. You need to go ahead and, and take them out. He was cruising. They took him out. Dodgers won the game. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that everything is 100% right, but I do think that it is it is good to have, once again, to like give you like a competitive edge. But it's still up to you to make that determination on how you want to use it. That's right. And I think we need to avoid compartmentalizing. Like it has to be either or, right? That either exactly. or thinking, binary thinking, which gets us in trouble. We always have to see the big picture. If we integrate analytics into our thinking, then we can avoid saying, oh, we're going to have to go over here and do something different and, and use numbers. It's just how we think. Yeah. Now, I know inclusion and equity means a lot to you. And you're often the only Black person like myself in different spaces, and in particular for analytics. So at what point, or why did you begin your advocacy to bring more people of color to this world? I've thought about it, you know, for a while, but it really came to head last year. And, and based on, in terms of like the climate that we're in, and, you know, I've, I've mentioned this story several times. It was in the Boston Globe as well. I've been, you know, doing this for a long time, and I've only seen one other African-American more or less do what I do. His name's Chris Taylor, great guy. He's based out of Seattle, Washington. I've only seen one female do exactly what I do in terms of being like a broadcast statistician. Her name's Karen Blackman. She's based out of Clemson. I have not seen any Latinos at all, no Latinos at all. This is not an indictment or a referendum on any organization or any, but it does let you know that if there is like a position available and let's say 30 people apply and the talent pool looks exactly the same, then that's that's problematic. That's problematic. And I said to myself, you know what? One of the best quotes that Mark Cuban said, you know, it's all about the execution, not the idea. So many people come up with great ideas, but at the same time, very few people execute. So I said to myself, I'm going to go ahead and create, you know, a nonprofit and the name of the nonprofit is called Strength in Numbers to where I will be teaching underrepresented groups in terms of like rising high school seniors in the Charlotte area and hopefully like in other parts of the United States working on that for 2021 in the summer about analytics, about sports analytics. Because here's the thing, it's really all about awareness at the end of the day, because you can have many, many minorities. And, and when I say minorities, of course, that encompasses females, that encompasses, you know, black, brown, Latino, that love sports, that love sports, but they may feel that the only way that they can get into sports is either being an athlete or a coach. And that is absolutely 100% incorrect. It is. But a lot of people feel that way. Most people don't even know that a position that I have even exists. 
So it's up to me, not even not necessarily anyone else, it's up to me to go ahead and change that narrative and to educate and let them know that, hey, not only do you make, is there a chance you may like this, but you know, you can actually make a career out of it. You can actually make a career out of this. So again, it is all about bringing awareness because again, most of them don't know. And what I always like to say, awareness then leads to opportunity. It's all about exposure. It's about yeah. exposure and what you're doing. And it goes without saying that whatever you're up to, I want to make sure that I help you, help you drive more people into your program, Strength in Numbers. I love it. Thank so you. I work in race and racism education, and mm -hmm. I look at root causes. So what are the some of the ways that brown and black people even as little people are deterred or hindered from embracing math and statistics. What's going on that? What are these root causes that we need to continue to address? Well, I even have to go back when I was in, in, in high school, even though we're talking about decades ago, but still I, I was not a very good student and I really wasn't a good math student. And I know that that may be shocking for some people to say, or, or even if you were, you know, John, you shouldn't say that, but I'm very transparent. I think that a lot of times when people speak their truth, I think that it humanizes them instead of like saying, hey, listen, you know, this is where I, I'm at. And if you want to get to here, this I, I'm really not like that. And so with that being said, I was not a good math student in terms of, you know, geometry. I was not good at, you know, trig calculus. I was not good at, but I did not even understand to where I could connect the intersection between math and sports. And the thing about it is, is that you can actually connect the dots between math and sports. Now, you have a lot of people that love sports and they love math, but they don't even realize that you can go ahead and parallel the two. And it doesn't have to be like extreme advanced in terms of like math. Now, of course, there are some parts. Absolutely. But let's take, for example, a general manager. If you're a general manager of an NBA team or an NFL team, I think that you definitely need to know in terms of certain advanced stats and analytics. But the thing about it is, Deb, at the same time, I don't think a lot of general managers know how to code or you know, Python or learn R, those different types of programming languages like SQL. They don't, but they need to have a good understanding and more or less how that works. So I think that more or less kind of like scares a lot of students away because, again, you only know what you know. And they don't, a lot of students don't know, especially, especially minority students to where, hey, I can actually do something that's sports related that falls under the STEM umbrella, science, technology, engineering, math. Mm -hmm. But it happens every day. So it's my job. I feel I just feel obligated to like really just spread the word and just to let them know. Yeah, I think seeing role models, seeing how the analytics are applied to sports, I think creating community. I think that's important. And of course, wiping the slate clean and saying, what do you want to build? Right? We don't do a much as enough imagination, enough imagining in our country. And that's over all of the systems and institutions. Yes. But oftentimes we just accept, we just go along with what has happened in the past, what the status quo, the tradition, and we're missing out on opportunities. In fact, isn't it called, because we're all familiar with ROI, right? Return on investment. But what about COI, cost of inaction? And many of our young people, because they're not given opportunities to imagine or the creativity is just squashed, then they end up being on the sidelines, pun intended, that they're not engaged and they're checking out of school. 
Whereas if we would have presented something to them, there's no doubt they would have jumped in their entire bodies. They would have gone for it. Exactly. And, and again, I'll say again, you, you only know what you know. And it's all about awareness. And I really believe that once when people are aware, awareness then leads to opportunity. 100 percent. Yeah. Now, how about academia in our roles? You know, what what particular activities have you created or on your wish list to increase diversity in sport analytics on college campuses? And so you've got your strength in numbers. You're teaching a course. Anything out there in your wish list of what you would like to see happen at UNC Charlotte or universities across the country? Well, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, the people that I work with, like, for example, my boss, Doug Hay, he has been extremely supportive and he is like a huge reason like why I'm here. And he's definitely an advocate of, you know, making sure that there are more, you know, people of color that are in positions like this to where they, they're learning about, you know, data analytics, you know, under the sports umbrella, for sure. Again, when it comes to, to answer your question about the college part, one thing that's interesting that when I told you that I started in fall 2019, there were 15 students that I had, only 15, and they were all male, all white males. Well, now that's changed, and it's still predominantly white males, and that's totally fine. But I love to see, you know, the diversity. I love to see that there are women that are now taking the classes. I love the fact to see that there are Latinos taking the classes, you know, African-Americans. And I honestly think that a lot of that has to do with me. But this is what I mean, not in terms of like how effective that I, I am, but in terms of the part where if a person ends up seeing someone in a higher position that looks like them, I think that it, in certain ways it inspires them. It causes yeah. them to see things totally different. And I just think that the fact that, that there are more, more minorities taking my class now than ever before here at UNCC, I don't think that that's a coincidence in terms of me being a person of color. For sure. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of the high school part, it all starts. I'm doing more with high school in terms of bringing awareness because, Deb, I think that it all starts with high school. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, when you're out of college or even when you're in college, if you have like a course in mind in terms of like a career, it's kind of difficult for people to kind of like change course, even though they've like invested so much. Well, you know, I've majored in architecture or accounting, you know, I've already like, you know, three years in it's kind of hard for them to like course correct and recalibrate. But when you're in high school and you're trying to like make a decision of not only where you want to go to school, but where you want to go in terms of and what you want to be rather, that's the perfect time to like talk to them and then explain this in terms of sports analytics. Hey, do you, ever, you, know, you know, if you may possibly want to make a career out of this, have you thought about that? That's what I mean. Just having a simple conversation like that. So, it really starts with high school, and that's where I really want to like leave my mark more so than any place. Well, I think you have made a very, very important point, and especially when you think of how challenging it is to switch a major. But when we're talking about going from high school with an idea in mind and then crafting the curriculum that works for you, because that can be done on college campuses. A lot of students don't know that you can actually create your own major, and then if you work in the business for five years, 10 years, and you say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. It is the type of career that you'll still do for fun on the side with your friends, with your family. It's great just to watch a game and not so much, you know, look at what Westbrook is doing to shut down Steph Curry or, or what <laughs> LeBron's latest move is, but right. to stop and take a look at the numbers. 
and really have some fun conversations. So it, it is a wonderful, wonderful career. And I'm very blessed to be involved in it now and helping people like yourselves promote it. Absolutely. Well, John, when it's all over and you're sitting in your rocking chair watching your favorite team play, if you look <laughs> back on your career, what do you want people to remember you for? I'm not sure. Well, obviously, we're in a different generation, but there is a hip hop rapper actually, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago, and his name was Nipsey Hussle. And he had a very, very, very tremendous quote. He said that the highest human form is to inspire. And also, I look right here that I have is a quote here in my office. Steve Jobs, it says, the only way to do good work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it, keep looking, don't settle. So with that being said, I want people to remember me in terms of how it's important for me to tell kids to go after their dreams and their passions. One thing that I do that's a little different is that whenever I have a new class, and I don't care if it's 15 or 50, I always make sure that I spend 15 minutes at least of one-on-one -on -one time with every single student, every single student. And the first thing that I asked them, Deb, is this question. If you could choose to do anything that you wanted, if you could choose anything that you wanted career-wise, and if you were guaranteed not to fail, what would it be? And I'll ask again, if you could choose any career that you wanted, any career, you were guaranteed not to fail, what would it be? And some of the students take a little bit of time. Some answer just like that. And the first thing I ask is, well, why aren't you doing it? I mean, you, a lot of times it's like dead silence. And it's not like to plant seeds of doubt, but, it's, but I then say, you know that you can do this, right? It's, it's really all about, you know, dreaming big. Now, it, it does take work because hard work does work. And of course, there are going to be times where you're going to fail. As long as you're breathing, you're going to fail at something, whether it's a relationship, a job, anything, like you're going to fail at something. But as long as you're striving to do something that love that you love and have a passion for, I really think that that can cause a lot of people to have not a normal life, but an extraordinary life. Because if you apply logic, we spend, and I know you know this, if you apply logic, we spend more time at work than we do at home with our loved ones. So whether it's that our parents, significant other, dog, kids, you name it. So if that's the case, you really want to make sure that you really, really enjoy it. And it's really up to us. I mean, we're the ones that Kanye West once said the same thing as another rapper that I'm more or less, you know, imitating or like quoting. But no, he said something that resonated as well. He says, we're the ones that create our own limitations. Not everyone else. We're the ones that create our own limitations. So if there's something that we really want to do that brings joy to us, go ahead and do that. So with that being said, if there's anything that I want people to remember is that, that I inspired them, I helped inspire them to to chase happiness and do things that they really love. Thank you. Thank you. You do a wonderful, wonderful job of getting young people to think. And certainly today on this podcast, you got us thinking as well. John Tobias, lecturer at UNC Charlotte and consultant to ESPN. Thank you for joining us today, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you as always. Thank you. I want the checks. You keep the bait. It's been exhausting carrying away. Thanks for listening to If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. I'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, be it Apple or Spotify or another. 
It's also helpful if you would give us a five-star rating and review so we can continue these spotlights. My goal is to get to 100 subscribers and I can't get there without you. Please share this podcast with your friends and family and follow me on social media at drstroman. This show is a production of Earfluence and is brought to you by the Diversity Movement. Thanks for listening to If You Only Knew.